Good morning, everyone. Welcome. It's good to see everyone here today. It's good to share this time of worship and fellowship together. And we welcome everyone. We welcome our guests especially. You're very important to us. We're glad that you're here today. We, uh, and we welcome you and hope you'll feel very much a part of our, our family as we worship God t- together. Let me remind everyone of our attendance sheets, if you don't mind, we would, if you would take those and fill those out so we could have a record of your attendance with us. They're on each row. Just uh, fill out the information that you feel comfortable giving to us and check the appropriate box, and we would certainly appreciate that. A few announcements I'd like to call to your attention. First of all, thank you to our young adult class for a great breakfast this morning. It's uh, always good to, to share that time of fellowship this morning that we uh, uh, that we do every month, and we're grateful f- to our young adult class for doing that today. And also, I think Mary has some announcements about our Hoops and Cheers program. Tis the season for sign-ups. Um, our Hoops and Cheers program uh, begins officially. Registration forms go to the schools on Wednesday, and you all know that we like to bribe the... T- encourage the teachers um, to make sure that those registration forms get get hand out get handed out um, so we are um, taking cookies along with those registration forms if you have not already signed up to bring two or three dozen cookies please see me after the worship service our registration and evaluations officially began on Saturday this coming up Saturday from 9 to noon and will run next week Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and again the following Saturday. If you can help us with registration, with sizing of the children, with the volunteer table, with doing the uh, basketball evaluations themselves, there's a sign-up sheet on that table as you um, come in the door or as you go out, as the case may be. Um, We would be most appreciative if you would um, give us your time, the, the gift of your time, to help us with one of those things. Um, we can't pull this off without you. You will find on the back of your bulletin the times that we will be doing that. Um, we hope this will be a good year. I've already talked to some parents and some coaches who were with us last year who like the new format. Um, so please um, help. <laughs> That is a plea for help there, isn't it? Thank you, Mary. 
Uh, yeah, there, there are sign-up sheets over there. There are also sign-up sheets over there for our Sureway Barbecue Fundraiser. Uh, that, that will be on September the 16th and 17th. We will be at the Eastgate Sureway uh, selling uh, pork chops and chicken and ribs and things like that. And so uh, you can sign up to volunteer over there. And if you would like some tickets to sell, you can see... Mike Sugg, or uh, you can get them in the church office here. Also, we have a group of folks that are uh, going to the Cardinals game on August the 27th, and if you would like to be a part of that, then please see Chris Hopgood, and he will arrange to buy the tickets, get the tickets for that. One other announcement. Uh, In a couple of weeks, on August the 28th, Angie Humphreys will be back here. Uh, I'm not leaving. She's not going to be preaching. She's just going to take a few minutes in the worship service to uh, to uh, share about a mission trip that she and her church were a part of. Uh, Angie Humphreys, as you as most of you know, is the uh, host of the Lifestyles program here on um, on our local TV, and she has a ministry in Evansville. And she will be here on the 28th to share with us about uh, a mission trip that she and her church participated in. We look forward to that, and uh, we look forward to sharing the love of Christ with one another. So let me invite you now to stand and do just that, just uh, share the love of Christ together. Join in this familiar hymn.
Yay. We are thankful for Heather being with us today, leading our music uh, in the absence of Mark. So thanks for being with us today, Heather. Let us pray together. Lord, this week I stumbled across a battered old self-help book claiming that it was an easy pathway towards a new you. And I rolled my eyes and continued on my way. But it reminded me that the easy and the quick are what we always seem to be chasing. Lord, help us to focus on you rather than the quick and easy. You know that we would like the ways of living to be easy, to have the paths laid out in a neat line with the future clearly visible at all times. And you know how badly the uncertainty scares us. You know about our eagerness to linger in safety or to spend all that we have to ensure that we are prepared. And we recognize that our journey is certainly obscured by greed and fear. Sometimes the greed belongs to others, but sometimes we own it. We have bought in too frequently to the materialism, the idolatry, and the empty dreams that the rest of the world is so intent on selling us. We too easily fall into that trap. And even as we want the fixes for all these things to be easy and effortless, we ask that you remind us that your fix, your way to hope and peace, is often neither easy or quick. But remind us, O oh God, that even though it is not easy, your way works. You are a God that is big enough to fix all of the dented part of our lives once and for all. And remind us that there is no pit that is so dark that your light cannot get through. Remind us that we have nothing to fear from the clouds that might show in the distance. Remind us that, and find some, some way that, to remind those that mention our, us in prayer, that in you there is healing and strength and comfort and hope. Through it all, we ask that you give us courage. Help us to find the trust and the strength to give not only these prayers to you, but our whole lives. Help us to recognize that you are stronger than any self-help book or quick-fix scheme. Instead, let us be about embracing the glory and the promise of Jesus Christ while we cast aside our fears about the future. We thank you that you are a God who hears, who listens, and who responds. In your name we pray. Amen.
come today in thanksgiving, Lord. We're thankful for uh, this group of people and, and this church. 
the beautiful life that we have here. We're grateful for all that are here and their generosity. We pray that you will be with those who are suffering today, those who are in the depths of despair. Help us as Christians to to cross across uh, lines of uh, race, uh, whatever, to uh, help each other and to administer to each other. Uh, We ask that you uh, use these offerings uh, for the work of the church and understand that uh, we come to thee in in thanksgiving today and in praise in Christ's name. Amen.
The gospel lesson is from Luke 12, verses 13 to 21. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Friend, who set me to be your judge and arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. For one's life does not consist of the abundance of possessions. Then he told them a parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly, and he thought to himself, What should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all of my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are rich, or but are not rich toward God. This is the word of the Lord. I guess this parable should be the parable of the best laid plans. Uh, he had plans, and they didn't quite work out the way he wanted. Somewhere along the way, I saw a cartoon of a, an elderly man who was obviously rich on his canopied deathbed, surrounded by servants, family members, lawyers, and all sorts of hangers-on, and it was quite obvious why most of them were there. But now the old gentleman is sitting up, and his arms are folded in front of him, and he has a very determined look on his face as one bystander says to another, Someone just told him he couldn't take it with him, and so he says he's not going. Well, we chuckle at that, but that is a caricature of the picture that Jesus paints for us in this parable of the rich fool. Now, for a while, the working title of this sermon was, Can We Be Successful, Rich, and Also a Christian?, and in my thinking, I was adding another one of Jesus' illustrations to my parable, that funny but mind-stopping picture of a camel struggling to pass through the eye of a needle. Do we have that up there? There it is. Got that cartoon there. Here we see the rich man trying to coax the camel to give it a try. Come on, let's get through this eye of the needle. And the camel is saying, and they wonder why camels spit on people. Jesus' word here was it is easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. And even though it may take you back a little bit, it's a legitimate question. Can we be successful and rich and also a Christian? Now, if I pursued that line of thought, I would have eased your minds uh, right away by saying that, yes, it is possible to be successful and rich and also a Christian. In fact, Jesus said that anything is possible with God. But it's only because of God that it's possible to do that. And if it were not possible, many of us would not be here today. Because even though not all of us are rich, most of us have at least, are at least moderately successful. So I couldn't really pursue the sermon along that line of thinking because it would let too many of us off the hook. And not many of us here today would admit that we are rich anyway. And so it would be very easy for us to rationalize this issue very quickly. In fact, this is one of those parables that, that many of us dismiss out of hand immediately because we don't believe it applies to us. I mean, this is about a rich man whom Jesus calls a fool. But look at how the parable begins. Take care. Be on guard against all kinds of greed. For one's life does not consist in the abundance 
of possessions. That's the way the New Revised Standard Version puts it. And even though I'm not really a a huge fan of the Living Bible, there's a very practical edge to its version here of the paraphrase of this verse when it says, Beware, don't always be wishing for what you don't have, for real life and real living are not related to how rich you are. Do you get the point here? Now we see that this parable is not so much about how much we have as it is about how we feel about what we have. It's about priorities. And then notice how the parable ends. Jesus condemns the rich fool and then brings all of us into the realm of judgment when he says, so it is with those who, who store up treasure for themselves but are not rich towards God. So you see, we're talking about a danger that is common to every one of us as we ask the question, how do we escape from being possessed by our possessions? Well, to answer that question, I first want to offer two reminders. First of all, any one of us can become victims of a covetous spirit, wanting things that we don't have. Any one of us can fall victim to that. Have you ever thought about that? You know, we envy rich people, don't we? We envy rich people. Every time I open up my laptop, it opens up to a news feed that offers news articles on various issues of that day, of, of every day. And every day on, in that list of news feeds, there are articles about those who are rich and famous to satisfy our curiosity and our envy. We envy rich people. But look at this. Jesus pitied them. When we hear about somebody who, who, who suddenly inherited a fortune, we say, lucky them. And when we hear of someone becoming wildly successful with their business or their technological breakthrough, we think, man, I'd love to be in their shoes. We think of, of the sense of security and relief from financial burdens that that kind of money could bring us. And, and we think of all the cool things that we could buy. And we, we think of the, the opportunity that it would bring to, 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 for doing good. And after considering all of this, we conclude that it would be pretty cool to be rich. But Jesus told us that it's not such a great thing. In fact, Jesus taught us that we should be afraid of being rich. How hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of heaven, he says. It's easier for a camel to squeeze through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom. You see, this parable of the rich fool is designed to show us how riches and good fortune tend to lead not so much to blessings, but a lot of times to tragedy. And it is here that we discover one of the greatest differences between the way we think and the way Jesus thinks. I mean, let's let's admit it. We envy the rich. We secretly hope that against all odds, we will one day hit that lucky Powerball. Right? Remember your church if you do. (laughs) But listen to this. Jesus pitied the rich. According to Jesus, there is nothing about being rich that is really enviable. But every one of us can become victims of that covetous spirit. And now the second reminder. Someone's value is not measured by things. Someone once said that money can't buy happiness, but it sure can help you look for it in some interesting places. And I heard recently about a a very wealthy man who asked his wife one, one evening, Honey, 
would you still love me if I didn't have, have all of this money? And, and she replied, sure, dear, I would love you. I'd miss you, but I'd love you. <laughs> How easy it is for us to misplace our values. In, in the Franklin County Courthouse in Virginia, the will of the man who owned Booker T. Washington is preserved. And, and since most of his property was in slaves, the owner listed each of his slaves and set down a value, the value that he placed upon them. And beside the name of Booker T. Washington, he had marked $200. That's how much he was worth. You think that's a fair estimate of that young man's worth? He turned out to be one of America's greatest citizens. I'd say he was worth a whole lot more than $200. But my friends, it is so easy for us to to misplace our values, especially when it comes to money. So two reminders. Any of us can become victims of a covetous spirit being envious and wanting what others have. And secondly, it's so easy to misplace our values. Two reminders. Now some questions. Questions that I hope will give us some perspective as we try try not to be possessed by our possessions. And the first question is this. Where do I place my security? The Lord's very explicit about why he regarded uh, the possession of wealth as undesirable. You see, to be wealthy oftentimes gives that person a false sense of security. That was certainly the case with this rich fool, wasn't it? He was wealthy beyond measure, and he thought he was secure until he died. Where's all that security then? And I believe that's exactly what Jesus is trying to tell us through this parable. You see, when, when the, the rich man's land started producing such abundant crops, he took stock of all of his possessions, and he found them to be enormous, almost embarrassing. And he said to, him, he said to himself, at last, I can, I can take it easy. Finally, I can, I'm secure. When he studied his balance sheets and looked over the huge new barns that he had just built and, and all of the things that were in there and, the, and his enormous stock he, that he had accumulated, he said to himself, you have enough to last for the rest of your life, so take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. He had finally arrived, and he no longer needed God. He no no longer needed to pray because he had everything he wanted. And he didn't think about death because he had so many pleasant things, fun things to distract him. And so we need to ask ourselves today, where do we place our security? Is it in our wealth or is it in God? If it's in your wealth, then you have a false sense of security. Then the second question, do I include God in my planning? Notice that the rich man became rich primarily because of the gifts that God had given to him. The good land, the rain, the crops. And yet he said, what should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. And that raises a very important question. What would God want him to do with all of his possessions, with his wealth? What would God want him to do? Was there no sickness to be healed? Was there no nakedness to be clothed? Was there no one in desperate, grinding poverty who could use a helping hand? Sure there was. We just sang about that just a moment ago. The Bible tells us that The poor will always be with us, so greet them with an open hand. But this man deliberately proposed to spend all of his money for the rest of his life purely and simply on himself. Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. He paid no attention to the need of his fellow human beings just as he paid no attention to God. 
You see, when we don't include God in our planning, we become blind to the world around us. And we grow blind also to God. Sir John Wilson travels 50,000 miles every year on behalf of the International Agency for the Prevention of Blindness, an organization that brings sight to 141,000 people every year. But what is remarkable, remarkable about this is that Wilson himself is blind. A few years ago, he traveled to the village of Nakong in, in uh, Ghana, where almost everyone is blind in this village. But they get by pretty well. Farmers taught him how to, to plant grain by, by following a straight piece of bamboo. And, and their wives went down to the well by following a piece of rope. And he discovered that these villagers were so accustomed to being blind that they found it difficult to believe that the rest of the world can see. Well, unfortunately, something like that can happen to a person's spiritual vision as well. Some people become so accustomed to the darkness that they no longer believe in the light. And that's what happens when we leave God out of our planning. That's what happened to the rich fool. This man had, had not consulted God about what God wanted him to do with his riches. And his plans were spoiled because he had considered uh, only the welfare of himself and not of others and not of God. His plans, which were inspired by selfish ambition, were all folly because God tells us that we are indeed responsible to help our brothers and sisters in need. And so we need to consider, do we include God in our planning? When it comes to our money. Then the third question. Why do I want more? You know, we always want more. And it doesn't matter how much money you have. You want more. Somebody asked uh, 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 one of the Vanderbilts one time, how much money is, is enough? And the answer was, a little more. It's never quite enough. And most of us don't even stop to think about that question or ask that question. We get on a roll and we, we don't even ask why we are doing what we're doing. And so accumulating more and more becomes an end in itself. So why do we want more? Security? Well, we've already addressed that one. God is our ultimate source of security. Status and ego? Read this parable and notice how many times the word I and my occur. The rich man uses I six times and my another six times. It's the language of a self-centered egotist. So is that the reason we want more? To satisfy our ego? If that's the case, it's a poor excuse. And so the question comes around to a fourth one. How would I like to be remembered? Someone has said that there are three kicks to every dollar. The kick of earning it, the kick of having it, and the kick of giving it away. And I want to tell you something, folks. That's true. People are remembered most fondly, not because they have a lot of money, but, but because of what they did with the money that they have. And even if you don't have a lot of money, even if you don't have a lot of money, guess what? You can give yourself away in love to others. You can coach a basketball team. You can volunteer at Christian Outreach. You can do all kinds of things to give yourself away in love. George Willis Spann lived in Pueblo, Colorado. They called him Pop Spahn. And for 34 years, Pop was the caretaker of the public school there. And he loved and served the children far beyond the call of duty, and they loved him back. He listened to their problems. He helped them out of scrapes. He bandaged their, their, uh, their hurts. He fixed their bicycles. He played with them after school, even though, though that meant he would have to stay later to finish his chores. He, he strengthened the weak. He, he gave friendship to, to those who needed it. He loaned them money and bought them presents. He often spent 
his, his own money, his own salary for more equipment for the children, more playground equipment for the children. And at Christmas, he always gave them a, a mural of the nativity in the cafeteria. All of the community came to love and to respect this modest, sincere man who never had much money. And then shortly after his retirement, the city of Pueblo built a beautiful new school building, and it proudly bears the name George Willis Spahn in honor of Pop, the man who lived a life at the same time he was making a living. So what do you want to be remembered for? And now the fifth and final question, and the most important one. Am I rich towards God? That's the clincher, isn't it? Indeed, that's the note on which Jesus closes his parable. And the scholars that I know who are, who are focused in on parables, they will always tell you that the main point of the parable comes at the end. Am I rich towards God? God said to him, fool, this very night your soul is demanded of you. And all that money that you have accumulated, whose will it be? So it is with those who store up treasure for themselves and are not rich towards God. In the Dallas-Fort Worth airport is the skeleton of a, a plesiosaur. His bones were found during the excavation process in building that ultra-modern airport. The plesiosaur is said to be 70 million years old. It's a giant lizard, 25 feet long, weighing about 10,000 pounds. And when you stand in the midst of that beautiful modern airport, that monument to the latest in modern technology, you can't help but to be impressed by those ancient bones in contrast to this modern facility. And the combination of that, that old and the new causes you to think about life itself. So let's do just that for a moment. And here's what I want you to think about. In a hundred years from now, or a thousand years, or ten thousand years from now, or maybe even five years from now, think about this. How significant will the things be that we constant fret, constantly fret over today? Or the things that we think are of ultimate importance today? A hundred years from now, they probably won't even make the radar screen of anybody. So listen to this, my friends. The question that has eternal significance is this. Are we rich towards God? A person's life is truly a tragedy if that person has become a success in everything else, but in the end lacks that one thing that matters, being rich towards God. When the rich young ruler came to Jesus, Jesus looked at him and loved him and said, one thing you lack Go and sell everything that you have and give it to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven. So what does it mean to be truly wealthy? It is, a, it is to have a clear conscience, cleansed by prayer and the forgiving grace of God. It is to have a committed will kept strong by a day-to-day -day Gethsemane experience where we pray every single day, not my will, but your will be done. It is a loving family. Our own husbands and wives and parents and children and aunts and uncles and nephews and nieces, but also the wider family that is ours when we care and allow others to care because of our love for Jesus Christ. It is a companionship with the living Christ whose grace covers our sins and whose presence is kept alive by our faith. That, my friends, is what true wealth looks like. And that's the person you need to envy. Not the one who has 
a lot of money in their pocket or in their bank. But the one who has stored up treasures in heaven. So please, please be sure today that you don't make the same mistake as this rich, that this rich fool made in his life. Put God first in your life and not your money. For God and God's kingdom ways are the only path to true happiness. Amen. Let's sing together. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. And that's the ultimate thing, isn't it? That's what we've been talking about today. So often our eyes get turned in the wrong direction. And we focus on our, our desire for more and more and more. You know what God said? You know what Jesus said? He said, seek first the kingdom of God. And all of those other things that you're striving after, they're going to fall in place. But seek after the kingdom of God first. That's what we need to do. We need to turn our eyes upon Jesus and not all the stuff. So let's sing this as our prayer today. Let us turn our eyes to the Lord and receive God's blessings. In this world of confusion, pulling us here and there, God will guide your steps. When you stumble and fall, God will lift you up. When you're too tired to take another step, God will carry you and give you strength. And when you turn away from the Lord, God will gently turn you back. Help us, O oh God, to be rich towards you, trusting that you are always with us to care for our every need. Blessed be the Lord our God, the Holy One who guides us to God's kingdom life. Amen. Thank you,
Okay. 